Counting on the winged Avenger to deliver you from evil, aren't you, my friend? Are you gonna kill me? Maybe, maybe not. You can say we're of two minds on the subject. <laughs> You're a gambling man. Let's say we flip for it. One man is born a hero, his brother a coward. Babies starved, politicians grown fat. Holy men are martyred, and junkies grow legion. Why? 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 <laughs> Luck! Blind, stupid, simple, doodah, clueless luck! <laughs> <laughs>I'll start there. <laughs> okay. We are back with podcast part three, the part three podcast. I am Sam. And I'm Will. He's Will. And we are, it's a, there's a new Batman, the sixth Batman in our lifetime, actor, I mean, playing <laughs> Batman. Uh, so we're going back to uh, 1995 and we're going to talk about Batman Forever. Apparently it's sloppy baby month here on podcast part three. <laughs> Yeah, I um I was kind of hoping that this would be an easy breezy watch and uh I would remember something from my childhood that I, you know, hadn't in a while and oh boy. Uh this is a movie that felt like it was written by 10-year-olds for 10-year-olds. <laughs> the one thing everyone thinks of when they think of Batman Forever is Kiss from a Rose by Seal, which is not in the movie. Nope. It plays after the U2 song for one minute at the very end of the credits. It's not even written for Batman Forever. Seal wrote the song in 1987, and he didn't like it. And then he finally <laughs> recorded it in 1994 for his second album, for Seal 2. It wasn't. This wasn't even the first movie it was in. It was in NeverEnding Story 3. It got re-released as a single in 1995 with a new video directed by Joel Schumacher, and it was re-released as uh, Kiss from a Rose, the love theme from Batman Forever. Oh, my God. Because it was originally supposed to be played over, a, a, am assuming, a sex scene with Val Kilmer and Nicole Kidman that never uh, came to pass. Oh, my God. So, since that started in the late 80s, we might as well go back to 1989 and a little movie simply titled Batman. And Batman was the most groundbreaking superhero movie just in terms of cultural impact, I'd say. Yeah, I think that's right. There had been maybe one other successful superhero franchise in feature films, and that was the Superman movies, the Richard Donner Superman movies, that actually took the character seriously at all. Like, before yeah. this, Batman was Adam West or the Super Friends, at least uh, outside of comics, you know, and then in the 80s, Batman in particular became kind of the face of an overhaul of superhero comics because of uh, Frank Miller, and uh, he Frank Miller wrote Batman Year One, and he wrote The Dark Knight Returns, and it was this very serious, very gritty, you know, very, you know, I, I would say, like, respectful take on the Batman mythos and the Batman character, and then that in turn gave us uh, Batman, the movie, from Warner Brothers, directed by Tim Burton, and starring Michael Keaton. Jack Nicholson, too. And, and yes, and Jack Nicholson, uh, top build, I, I, so I should have <laughs> mentioned him first, uh, as the Joker, and it was a massive hit. Like, I'm a little too young to remember it, but that gold Batman logo was everywhere. I mean, I was... I was... I was about to turn five when that movie came out, and I was Batman crazy anyway. And everywhere you turned that summer, it was just Batman this and Batman that. Like you couldn't like you couldn't throw a rock without hitting Batman stuff. Yeah, no, huge, it was insane, huge hit. I'm not gonna say it spawned a superhero like trend in movies because it didn't really. You didn't get any of the others, more or less. No, you mostly just got a bunch of movies that were aping the style of that movie yeah. and not necessarily like you had Dick Tracy oh, yeah. and you had like Darkman in a way was kind of that and the shadow 
and The Phantom. You had sort of all these movies that were aping the style, the stylistic touches of Batman, but you didn't get anything that was like, you didn't get an Aquaman movie off of a Batman movie or a Wonder Woman movie. In the 90s, they were constantly trying to get Spider-Man off the ground, but it didn't happen. But yeah, they kind of, it was then they, every studio snapped up every other like early 20th century pulp property that wasn't owned by Marvel and DC and made a movie out of that. And then, in addition, there was that sort of stylized, noir, gothic uh, aesthetic for, like, the design of Gotham City. And you can draw a straight line from 1989 and that all the way to, like, The Matrix, I would say, in 99. Oh, yeah. Dark City and The Crow and uh, all of those movies. Blade, to a lesser extent. All, it's this sort of, it's a city that's, like, kind of set out of time. And it's all made of matte paintings and... uh, (laughs) But yeah, the Batman's big influence led to uh, such classics as The Phantom uh, with Billy Zane and you know, Dick Tracy, which was yeah, that yeah. would that remember the marketing for that? That was everywhere. They thought that was everywhere. They too, thought that yeah. movie was going to be so huge, and it was. It, I mean, I think it did okay, but it didn't do great. No, Batman itself got a sequel in 1992. Tim Burton and Michael Keaton uh, came back for 1992's Batman Returns, which also starred. Uh, Danny DeVito as the Penguin, Christopher Walken as evil industrialist Max Shrek, who is not from the comics, but is the best villain in this entire series. I'm just going to say that there, and it's not up for debate. And uh, probably most notably, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman. And uh, that was not, a, it was, a, I mean, that is the most Tim Burton-y movie ever. It's, yep. it's, it's Danny DeVito and the circus freaks featuring Batman. Yeah, it was very clearly like... Warner Brothers wanting to make a sequel and letting Tim Burton do whatever the hell he wanted. And just, uh, he ran with it. He just just went hog wild as much as the budget would let him. (laughs) Yeah, it's, I mean, it's weirdly, for all its ambition, it feels like a smaller movie than Batman. It kind of only has, like, three sets. It's like you're either in the sewer, you're in the town square with the Christmas tree. Some random warehouse or Wayne Manor, yeah. Or you're on, yeah, you're on a roof. A nondescript (laughs) roof. Um, and so it under, it was still like successful and critically well-received, I think on a par with Batman, but it made like 150 million less than Batman did in 1989. And parents complained. Like that's the, the big thing is that parents complained that it was too dark and too violent and too scary and too weird and Freudian. They're, they're not entirely wrong. It's, it's basically the hot topic Batman movie. (laughs) And, like, to this day, people say Michelle Pfeiffer's their favorite Catwoman. Uh, she's uh, she's a Catwoman. She's not my favorite. <laughs> I don't think I have a favorite. Uh, but it is, um, it's it's a crazy movie. Batman and Batman Returns, I think our generation holds them in very high esteem, kind of because for the longest time they were the only game in town in terms of Batman. Like, now I feel yeah. like we don't, have to revere them because they've made more Batmans. There's a lot of different types of Batman movies out there now. I I agree. And I think one of the funnier things about the Tim Burton movies in particular is that, you know, everyone points to those or did at least pointed to those saying, Oh, they're so serious. And they're so like, and, and they're so dark and real man. And you watch the two movies together and those are so fucking campy. And so like, just, out of control banana pants <laughs> and the scripts aren't great the villains have no real motivation like jack nicholson as the joker changes his sort of overall goal in the movie about <laughs> three or four times like at one point yeah. he wants to be an artist and then it, he gives that up uh the penguin runs for mayor and then he gives that up and uh, I'll say this much for Batman Forever, at least the villains keep their, you know, stick to their plan all the way into the third act. Pretty much, yeah. Before we get into the movie itself, obviously there was a lot of personnel turnover between Batman Returns in 92 and Batman Forever in 1995. Tim Burton was and Michael Keaton were both attached at the start, but Warner Brothers really wanted to go less dark. They wanted a more fun movie because... You know, McDonald's didn't want to do tie-ins with Batman Returns. And it was, uh, it was like, I wasn't allowed to go see it in the theater because everyone told my parents it was too scary. I had a shit ton of the toys, though. I cajoled my parents to, to take me to 
to Batman Returns. We ended. I did end up seeing that in the theater, and yeah, the toys were everywhere yeah. for that. Good movie. lineup of uh, Batman action figures doing things he never did in the movie, like <laughs> no. jungle assault Batman <laughs> and laser climb. Batman yeah, it was or like whatever that one is. cyber ninja Batman. <laughs> So Batman Forever, uh, I think once they wanted to go in the lighter direction, Tim Burton decided, uh, you know what, no, I, uh, he, and I think he decided to focus on Ed Wood uh, yeah. smartly. He stayed on as an executive producer, they gave him a dump truck full of money, and I think he had a hand in picking the next director. And they ultimately chose Joel Schumacher, who I think had come off of The Client at this point, which was like a big hit. The Client is probably the most low-key Joel Schumacher movie <laughs> you'll ever see. He'd also done, I think prior to this, he'd done he'd done The Lost Boys, he'd done right. Falling Down with Michael Douglas, and he'd uh, written The Wiz. Oh, and you can't forget, Sam, our personal artifact that we discovered in college, DC Cab. Oh, yes, I forgot about DC Cab. That, <laughs> D- that DVD had so few special features, it just played the movie in a loop. <laughs> Yes, uh, if you haven't seen DC Cab and if you you felt like you aren't getting enough, Mr. T and Bill Maher and Gary Busey uh, have a cab company uh, together. That's the movie for you. <laughs> and it is so strange. It's a very strange as a movie. movie. It is so it's weird. So it's weird. kind of amazing, but it is it is. It very might weird. be the only so bad it's good movie that in my my favorite so bad it's good movies that's actually a comedy because usually bad comedy I hate. Right. <laughs> um, other directors considered John McTiernan of Die Hard fame and Sam Raimi. And I could see Raimi. This is Raimi coming off of Darkman and Army of Darkness. I could see him definitely doing a, a type of Batman Forever sort of superhero movie because his Spider-Mans yeah. are very campy and earnest, too. Yeah. Well, yeah. once they had Joel Schumacher in place, they moved on to uh, picking a new Batman because Michael Keaton decided, nah. At this point, I imagine all the different ideas that were being kicked around. He was just like, nah, nah, I don't want to put on that suit. And they had a long list of people they considered. Uh, they only, I think they only offered it to one person besides Val Kilmer. They initially offered it to Ethan Hawke. Okay. And he turned it down, uh, uh, but later said he regretted that decision. <laughs> Presumably he regretted that decision sometime when he was trying to refinance his home or something. (laughs) (laughs) Could have used that Batman Forever money. So he ultimately landed on Val Kilmer, who had just come off of Tombstone. And that movie was a big success, and he's great in it. Like, it's a... In 1995, Val Kilmer as a casting choice made a lot of sense as Batman. Oh, yeah. yeah. Other other names considered, though... You want to hear them all? I do. Dean Kane. <laughs> but they decided no because he was already Superman. He's already Superman. Yeah. Uh, Keanu Reeves. Okay. Alec Baldwin. Okay. And failing that, William Baldwin. <laughs> Tom Hanks. Kurt Russell. Ray Fiennes. Oh, that's an interesting choice. Johnny Depp. And Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> Which I I sorely wish they'd. I wish Daniel Day Lewis would just oh once God. for a lark take like a Marvel role, just just to see what he could do with it. Just that would be amazing. That would be amazing. It would be it would be more amazing if he was in this movie. Yeah. No. As Batman too. As Batman. Yeah. That's that would be so just, and he would have stayed in character the whole time. It would have been amazing. Oh my God. And for the two villains, uh, it was going to be the Riddler and Two-Face. And first thing off the bat, the first thing they did was uh, screw over Robin Williams for a second time in this franchise. Because he'd been initially promised the role of the Joker in the 1989 Batman. And then, like, basically Warner Brothers went behind his back and got Jack Nicholson and didn't tell him. Same thing happened this time. He was going to be the Riddler in Batman Forever as a consolation for Batman 89. And then when they went with Jim Carrey, he didn't find out till he read it in the trades. Oh, boy. So, uh, not Robin Williams as the Riddler. <laughs> uh, and at the same time, Billy D. Williams, what played Harvey Dent, Billy D. Lando Calrissian played Harvey Dent in 1989 and was only took the part because he wanted to play Two-Face at some point. 
and they decided to go with someone else. And so they said no to Billy D. Williams. And uh, among the names considered for Two-Face were a lot of actors that make a lot more sense than Tommy Lee Jones for this characterization of Two-Face. <laughs> uh, you had Robert De Niro and Clint Eastwood, who I don't see them reading this script no. and seeing the probably the concept art and saying, okay. Uh, Martin Sheen, Al Pacino... Okay, yeah, I can see that. Pacino would have yeah. would have done this with his eyes closed. Uh, yeah. Willem Dafoe and Nicolas Cage. Oh, okay. oh, wow. Yeah. That's unfortunate. Yeah, we missed out. Because they went with Tommy Lee yeah. Jones, who on paper you'd think would be a great uh, Harvey Dent. He'd just come off of The Fugitive. He'd won an Oscar. You'd think he'd be fantastic. And as we'll get into it, you will find out he is not. <laughs> And uh, once Robin Williams was off the table, and before they got uh, Jim Carrey, the names they considered for the Riddler, uh, one person who really wanted the part and lobbied really hard for it, Michael Jackson. Okay. <laughs> one name considered was Brad Dourif, who was also a, uh, Tim Burton's original choice to play the Joker, and he also considered him to play the Scarecrow at one point. And Brad Dourif would have been great as any of those three parts. Oh, man, he would have been perfect. Yeah, Brad Dourif yeah. would be fantastic as a Batman villain. Yeah. It's not too late. He's still with us. <laughs> Other names considered included Mark Hamill, Rob Schneider, Steve Martin, oh. Adam Sandler... Phil Hartman, John Malkovich, Kelsey Grammer, Matthew Broderick, and Mickey Dolans from the Monkees. <laughs> they were just throwing darts at the wall with some of those. Yeah, I don't know. I I can't I can't picture honestly, I don't I can't and I don't want to picture any of them in like the 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 speed skating uh Riddler outfit. <laughs> but I'm not finished. There's one more new part that was going to be in this movie. A little fella called Dick Grayson, a.k.a. Robin, was going to finally make his live-action on-screen appearance. Originally, Marlon Wayans had been cast as Robin. That's right. He was going to be in Batman Returns. That is correct. And he was uh, signed on for sequels, but then they decided to cut Robin out of the shooting script because they thought Batman Returns had too many characters. (laughs) Little Little did they know what was up ahead. Um, among the names considered for, uh, Robin, for Dick Grayson in Batman Forever, Matt Damon, Mark Wahlberg, Jude Law, uh, Corey Haim and Corey Feldman, Scott Speedman, uh, Ewan McGregor, and Christian Bale. Okay. I wonder what the overlap is between people considered for Robin in 1995 and people considered for Batman in 2005. (laughs) <laughs> and weirdly enough, considered for Robin, Alan Cumming. Really? Yeah, I I have ninety five Alan Cumming. I, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I guess he was kind of young back then, but I see him as the riddle. That's your riddler. Yeah, that's your riddler. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I I I wrote all this down, so of course I had to share it. But that that that's just yeah. to let you know what a build up to this movie there was, and it was. In 1995, summer of 1995, Batman Forever was everywhere. It was on every bus and billboard and newspaper. There were toys. There were tie-ins. There were some sick glasses from McDonald's. There was the soundtrack was everywhere. And the movie itself was a huge hit. If you watch this movie now and you've never seen it before, a movie that to quote my wife, who watched it with me, she said, this movie is giving me nothing. <laughs> it was a massive hit. A huge hit. I mean, and it was like, it was such a huge hit that it surprised everyone how big of yeah, a hit it was. I think it was, I think it surpassed Batman 89. It was a massive hit. If you're going from Batman Returns to Batman Forever, it's, they, they might as well not be the same franchise. I mean, they... They are in that they share certain sort of aesthetic uh, ideas, I guess. But um, the Gotham City in this movie is more just this day glow Blade Runner nightmare that the other movies like don't have the same idea. This is not how Gotham City ever appeared in the comics. This is this is like Universal City Walk or Times Square 
up, cranked up to a million. Yeah, there's full of like so much neon, so many spinning fans, so many spinning fans, so many gigantic statues. Yes, there's giant statues everywhere. Yeah, even more so in Batman and Robin, but in this one, it's all there, and it's and a lot of bad CGI cityscapes. Yeah, yeah. A lot of swooping through the bad CGI cityscapes, too, for no real reason. It's all just kind of like filler footage, too. Yeah, a lot of Dutch angles. Oh, uh, boy, so many Dutch angles. A lot of filler footage for a two-hour movie that had about an hour's worth of material cut from it, too. <laughs> this movie is a uh, Robin and Riddler origin story. Because when it starts out, it, Batman is uh, up and running, of course, because it's it's his third movie, and uh, Two Face is already Two Face. So they skipped all the interesting shit about Two Face and got right to. I mean, I, 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 aside from knowing the comics stuff with Two Face and skipping all the sort of what makes Two Face interesting is his origin, but the uh, I kind of appreciated not having an origin for Two Face and just sort of running right into it. And I wish, I mean, and now the superhero movies are so mired in the, the you know, shared universe aspect of things that this isn't really a problem anymore. But the, uh, I, wish, I wish more superhero movies did this, where it was just like, oh, here's this villain and the hero has to deal with it and we're going to sort of dispense with the origin story in, as like background filler, yeah. you know? Uh, Bat- Batman Forever and Batman and Robin definitely do that because Batman, Ro- Batman and Robin starts the same way. He just gets a phone call from Commissioner Gordon and said, there's a new villain at the Gotham <laughs> Museum. His name is Mr. Freeze. Yeah, exactly, and you're off and running. Yeah, it's, uh, I I mean, yeah, I, I guess there's something to that. I just, Harvey Dent as a character and then Two-Face, it's not, it, it's, that's not the villain you want to do that with. No. You could do that with the Riddler because who gives a fuck? But, uh... <laughs> Yes, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I absolutely agree. Two Face as a as a character is far more interesting if you play sort of the split personality and play the the you know I mean kind of what the Dark Knight did you know thirteen years later or whatever. Imagine if you told someone who had been living in like a, a cave for the last hundred years and they come out and there's like there's some Batman movies and as a prank you showed them the Dark Knight and then told them Batman Forever was the sequel to it. <laughs> Can you imagine I, how confused they'd be? Well, or just think, just show it to, like, do that to, like, a kid now or something, you know, just, like, sit them down. I'll, maybe I'll do that with Evan. I'll show them The Dark Knight and then and then show them uh, uh, Batman Forever and say, this is the direct sequel. Yeah, no, that's the same Two-Face. <laughs> <laughs> he puts bubblegum on his face to make it feel better. <laughs> And has two Victoria's Secret models uh, as yes. his girlfriends. Oh, he's got he's Drew got Barrymore one... and Debbie Mazar. <laughs> one for one side and one for the other. Sugar and spice. <laughs> so yeah, there's an, this whole opening set piece where uh, Batman takes down a bunch of goons. You don't see that anymore. Is uh, the villains having their own like sort of branded goons? Yeah, I miss it. I miss it. Actually. I miss goons. Yeah, we were we were Elise and I were both lamenting that there's no more. There's no brand. Villains don't have branding no. anymore. Not even in the uh, uh, Marvel movies. No, it's uh, it's. I miss it, and it's something I really loved in the the Batman animated series too. Is that all the yeah. villains had their own like group of guys? Who just, yeah, like, the around. '60s Batman did that too. Yeah. Like Catwoman always had her cat burglar henchmen. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. the the Arkham. Uh, series those games the, a lot of the henchmen are, are themed, themed yeah. i think so you know like you're in penguin territory or right. or joker territory <laughs> but yeah these guys all wear um like ski masks that are uh bicolored they have a lot of piercings and they have uh machine guns with neon yin yangs on them <laughs> it's it's and it's uh great i mean in the next one they're gonna be hockey t- hockey guys hockey team for from Mr. hell yeah uh, <laughs> I, I, this is making it all sound like a lot more fun than it is, but honestly, this movie was kind of a drag. It was. It was a slog. And and even, like, it just starts as the, the opening action sequence and the security guard who's just chewing the scenery, who's like, oh, it's boiling acid! Oh, my glasses! And you're just like, oh, boy, yeah. here we are. <laughs> yeah, it's a Wayne Knight type. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, so, and it goes from there. Uh, the Riddler is an employee at uh, Wayne Enterprises, who's... And a Bruce Wayne mega fan. Yeah, huge fan. Uh, and he makes a... 
I, I think it was only this time watching it, I figured out what it is that Edward Nigma's box does. <laughs> it's intended to just make your TV look like it's three-dimensional. And then it right. happens to accidentally, he discovered that it can suck out the viewer's brainwaves and make him smarter. Right. And and basically perform Inception at a certain point, too. Yeah, at some point he can read your mind and, and steal your thoughts. That's That's like, he has like a launch party for box 2.0 at one point uh um oh there's a lot of this is the thing this is just a real jelly belly bean bag of little things we gotta pick through uh you know uh we haven't even mentioned that batman has a love interest right out of the gate played by nicole kidman who is so horny for batman criminal psychologist dr chase meridian She's basically Harley Quinn if Harley Quinn met Batman first. Uh, yeah, and just never went fully bad. Yeah, she's just like, oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I. but she's like, she was going to be horny for someone, and she, literally the first shot of Nicole Kidman seeing Batman, she has like, like, no woman has ever been as into James Bond as Nicole Kidman is into Batman in this movie. She sets up the bat single just to basically booty call him. And kind of the big runner of the movie is is Batman trying to get her to fall for Bruce Wayne <laughs> so that she won't be obsessed with Batman. And kind of the big like cli- like emotional climax of the movie is her telling Batman, you know, I don't want you. I want to be with someone else and him having to pretend to act all hurt, but really he's he's like, "Oh, she wants to be with Bruce Wayne. Sweet, I'm off the hook." <laughs> yeah, the- <sighs> Uh, well, first of all, we have to say what uh, Nicole Kidman's first line of the movie is, is hot entrance. Hot entrance. <laughs> do you have a first name or do I just call you Bats? You Bats. Oh, my God. Oh, Lord. Bats are rodents, Dr. Meridian. <laughs> Val Kilmer, good Batman, kind of a boring Bruce Wayne, in my opinion. So, I agree, except in the scenes where he is imitating Adam West. Did you notice this? This is, I'd never noticed this before until this viewing. When he's trying to solve the riddles with uh, with Alfred, he is imitating Adam West. Almost, It's almost a perfect imitation, but it's almost too subtle in a way. Yeah. He, he's good at that part of Bruce Wayne. And this is the part of Bruce Wayne you actually don't see in a lot of Batman movies, which is Bruce Wayne. There's like... There's Bruce Wayne out in the world being Bruce Wayne, billionaire philanthropist, or in the case of these movies, Bruce Wayne, like awkward handsome nerd yeah, yeah but there's also the bruce wayne where like when he's not fully batman and he's doing but like he's doing batman work like he's doing right. he's being a detective he's a detective which yeah. you don't you don't get a lot of batman as a detective in any of the batman movies including the christian bale ones you get a little bit more of it in the christian bale ones uh there's like some scenes where they do weird things with fingerprints on a bullet yeah. in uh, the dark knight but it it's never entirely clear what exactly they're doing or how they're doing it but like it's kind of there yeah I, I mean it's for the character who's supposed to be the world's greatest detective uh, filmmakers never seem all that interested in that part of him oh, and you know yeah. that's you know that's an that's a choice there's a lot of different ways you can go with batman but uh uh, yeah, no, he's he's got some moments when he's allowed to kind of, when he kind of, like, lets down the cool, like when he's not just kind of talking like this. Tell me, Dr. Meridian, do you like the circus? <laughs> like yeah. that sort of thing, when he kind of lets his guard down a bit. He's act- And when he's talking to Dick Grayson, like when he's being yeah. real with Dick, uh, like, you know, like Dick Grayson's like, your parents weren't killed by a maniac. Yes, they were. Like he's, he's like, he's kind of earnest and yeah. he's, he's embracing the camp of it a bit. Uh, and yeah. you know, Val Kilmer kind of infamously had a reputation of being like, not always the easiest guy to work with. And he, you know, always was kind of like the cool guy. He was like too cool for school. He like right. on set and as a, as a character. And so I wonder if a little bit of that is just him kind of letting that part slide and letting himself play anything resembling like a vulnerable character or like an emotionally yeah. honest character. Cause there's, as I said before, there's like an hour's worth of material cut from Batman forever. And it's all character stuff with Bruce Wayne. Like there's a whole character arc. That's only slightly touched upon in this about his repressed memories about his father and the, the diary. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like the, the, in this, they establish he's having these memories of a red diary, red leather book, and it's his father's diary. And they kind of don't really follow, follow through on it. It just leads to like a flashback of him discovering the cave and seeing like the vision of the giant bat. Right. And, you know, a big thing in this movie is, like, can Batman and Bruce Wayne truly coexist? Who is, are you Bruce Wayne or are you Batman? I think the things that were in there were him sort of remembering things in the diary that made him feel like he was responsible for them being out that night when they got murdered and him blaming himself for it and having these feelings of guilt of, like, you know, he, he you know, and I think that ties into... Uh, his guilt about Dick Grayson and taking Robin right. in and trying to guide him. You know, I don't know how. And then there's like a whole vision he has after the Batcave gets destroyed where he goes down and like is confronts a giant bat. And it's, you know, it's oh the, I've, I've seen the footage. It's like the bat from all the visions that you see. He goes down. Right, right. If you watch the trailer, there's like one shot of him with the giant bat. Like they're like face to face and he's kind of like mirroring its images. I, I don't, I, I mean, it's all a little bit of stuff and nonsense, but it's more nuanced than this this series had been at all up to this point. Well, I mean, this series never, ever gave a shit about Bruce Wayne. I mean, and, and in a lot of ways, the, the Burton-Schumacher movies mimic the James Bond movies more than they are, like, actual comic book movies. Like, they're more focused on the villains, they're more focused on the villains' plots and the gadgets, and Batman's kind of just doing Batman stuff. Yeah, And they never really care about Bruce Wayne or what he's feeling. This movie hints on it, but like you say, it was all cut. Um, but he, like, gives up being Batman for seemingly no reason. Yeah, I think it's... And that's after... She's like, I'm not in love with Batman, I'm in love with Bruce Wayne. So I guess he decides, oh, I can't ever be Batman if I'm going to be with Nicole Kidman. Right, and it just... It doesn't make sense, uh, especially because it's like, well, but Two-Face is, like, doing stuff like yeah it's there's not like it's out not there. like the the city is safe it's not like he's like cured crime or whatever he's you, like, you're gonna have to do something about that neon dayglow gang at some point yeah. too you know it's the the baseball furies of gotham city like, yeah oh i wish the baseball furies had showed up yeah right in uh you see the droogs at one point in batman and robin they're That's hanging out right. at the motorcycle yeah. chase so yeah. uh, you can also see them in space jam too they're at the basketball game. <laughs> it's a Warner Brothers property. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Like, we're talking all about the character work in Batman Forever. Uh, so in the meantime, he's dealing with this. The Riddler uh, teams up with Two-Face so that Two-Face. So he'll be like, I'll help you destroy Batman. You got to rob shit to get me money to start my own company to uh, rival Bruce Wayne so that I can sell the box to... So that I can find out who Batman is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Which, I... as plans go to get Batman, that one's... Well, it's it's a choice. <laughs> it's... I mean, it's convoluted, but at least they're interested in Batman. Right. Uh, you know, the Penguin was never... Well, just wants to uh, kill all the firstborn children. Right. Uh, he doesn't give a shit about Batman. Right. And and Joker doesn't really give a shit about Batman. They just added the not terribly interesting wrinkle that he also killed Batman's parents in, in yeah, the and, movie. And they're both uh, into the same and they, girl. Right. And they both, they both want to... They both like Vicky Vale. Right. Uh, <laughs> Oh, this movie's a mess. None of, like, none of the, like, some of, the, like, the fighting stuff's okay, but, like, the whole final act, the action set pieces make no sense, and they're just all, like, riddled with laser question marks, and the geography of it is impossible to follow when they get to, like, the peng the Joker's, the Riddler's <laughs> island lair. <laughs> Fuck me. Yeah, it's all, it is all over the place, and... And and not all over the place in a fun way. It's just confusing and hard to sort of put it all together and figure out what they're doing or why and all that stuff. And the thing that, that hit me this time around is the Robin story makes no sense because Chris O'Donnell is 25 years old. Yes. 
there are so many lines in this where I'm like, was this written with like a with a 13 year old in mind? Like, yeah, I mean, it's it, like you'd think because of how geared towards children this movie is, and like how it feels like it was written by a 10 year old playing with Batman action figures, that they would have an, a child insert character in the movie. But they must have thought that that was just too dark having the kids parents killed on screen or they maybe thought it was like too weird for batman to for to put to put a 13 year old in one of the nipple suits right but but the way that they do it here is that batman doesn't really put him in the nipple suit it's all up to the up to him like robin comes up with that idea and and alfred helps him but i meant more from like a production standpoint just like do we do with the costume guys like do we have to make like a 13 year old boy's nipple and butt suit oh i see what you're saying yeah yeah no batman has never had an issue putting 13 year olds in like (laughs) tights and having them go out and fight serial killers (laughs) But, but I feel like the movie might make just a little bit more sense if if Dick Grayson felt at least 16. Yeah, it, there's a lot of lines. Uh, like, at any time, like, once he finds out Bruce Wayne is Batman, you, like, all the lines were like, I can be your partner, Bruce. I can be, like, they're coming from, like, but it's, yeah, it's this 25-year-old uh, earring-wearing motorcycle-riding man. <laughs> Who's got a real rude tood. Yeah, he's so cool. So cool. It's like, I, I'm not wearing my suit today. Ugh. Yeah, oh, so I forgot my suit. Imagine that coming from a, a, like a <laughs> like a, a 15 or 16-year-old. It makes a lot more sense. Yeah. If that was coming from like Eddie Furlong right. in Terminator 2, like that's yeah. that's kind of what I'm, I gotta imagine that was what they had in mind. It must have been. And I, I just, and I don't, I just don't understand. It's such a baffling creative decision because they're arguing about things and you're just like, I don't know. You're a grown ass man, dude. You do what you want to do. Yeah. <laughs> they keep saying he's run away. I'm like, no, he's, yeah, he rode off on the mi- motorcycle he owns. <laughs> oh boy. I don't know. Maybe the working in the circus stunted him or something, but good God. <laughs> I mean, that was a weird, that was like a Cirque du Soleil. I mean, that was a Joel Schumacher circus, all right. It was yeah, like, it's, uh, yeah that was definitely like Cirque du Soleil by way of Blade Runner. It's definitely... Now now performing at the Gotham Hippodrome. Yes. Yeah. Robin's a tough character. There's a, I, we ha, have we seen Robin uh, in, a, in a feature since Batman and Robin? No, I mean, I mean, I guess, and we'll get to this next week. There's kind of a Robin in uh, the Dark Knight Rises. Oh but... fuck that! No, there isn't. <laughs> Shut up. John no. Blake, John, John, or Robin, John, Robin, John Blake, Robin, John Blake, right? Something like that. But um, but no, we haven't. Uh, and I and I mean, they uh, allude to him in the Zack Snyder movies, but um, but no, we we don't. Uh, we haven't had a Robin on screen and partly because it's, it's a tough nut to crack because it is, it's either the child endangerment thing uh, is hard to sell. And part of the problem is, and with the Burton Schumacher movies is that if you outside of the origin, uh, if you're not going to do Robin, Batman just isn't terribly interesting as a character and you kind of need him to have other, uh, other side characters to bounce around, which is why, you know, the dark Knight isn't about Batman. It's really about Gotham and about the expanded cast in Gotham. Like that's why there's the whole bat family. And that's why in the new one, it seems like he's going to be playing off a Catwoman a lot, which is probably a good idea. And also, Robin's tough because there are now f- like four Robins in the yeah. canon and they all have like different like Dick Grayson as a character is like he's uh, he's been in like shows like he's in um the Teen T- the Titans live action series right. but he's Nightwing and he's a leader like he's grown up uh and then like Jason Todd isn't Robin anymore and his whole he's just defined by dying and coming back to life and the current Robin is Batman's son which was who who was like a product of date rape with Rasha Ghoul's daughter. Oh what? <laughs> yeah, Damian Wayne. And then there's Tim Drake was in there, but he's kind of been like retconned in the comics. He like isn't he's just like 
I think he just goes by Red Robin, and I think he kind of wears the Kingdom Come Robin outfit. Uh, okay. Yeah, because they just didn't know what to do with him. Uh, right, because they brought him back and as like their version of Winter... Or it was not even their version of Winter Soldier. It happened right at the same time, didn't it? Where Bucky came back and Tim Drake came back? No, you're thinking of Jason Todd. I'm sorry, I am thinking yeah, of Jason, Jason Todd. Todd That's is, right. Yeah, Jason Todd is Red Hood. Right. Uh, Dick Grayson is Nightwing. Tim right. Drake, Tim Drake is... was Robin number two. That's right. Okay. Robin number three. Right. After Jason Todd. Correct. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. God, uh, noob. Yeah. Uh, and then Stephanie Brown, a.k.a. Spoiler, was in there, too, somewhere for right. like a hot second. And uh, then she was Batgirl. And then they retconned the whole DC universe. <laughs> and Barbara Gordon got the use of her legs back. Oh, <laughs> uh, boy. But yeah, the, the relationship between Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson, it's one that you kind of need to allow to evolve over time. Because right. it, it's all about, like their shared trauma and their history together. The origin is kind of the toughest story to do. Right. Uh, and you know, it, and it's, it's not the most interesting story either. Cause it's spending a lot of time with Dick Grayson who got more interesting when he stopped being Robin. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and the interesting thing about the bat family is like you say, that dynamic and that, uh, and that conflict. And one of the fun parts of, of reading the Batman comics is when Dick Grayson leaves to become Nightwing and there, and the fractured relationship between Batman and, and Nightwing. And one of the reasons why I like the Nightfall storyline so much is because it focuses on, on Dick Grayson and Tim Drake and how, pissed off they both are at being replaced by this yeah. like lunatic <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah nightfall because this in the comics around this time was like a bunch of kind of landmark events in comics because i think both dc and marvel were kind of stri- struggling to stay relevant yep. so 94 95 you had like it all started with the death of superman which yep. was a big deal you gotta, you gotta buy like 10 issues because they're gonna be valuable someday everything had a hologram cover and then spider-man did uh the clone saga and at the same time batman did nightfall where bruce wayne is you know bane breaks him over his knee and bruce wayne is no longer batman it was the first time someone else was going to be batman and instead of it being dick grayson it was jean paul valley who uh was like a crazy person <laughs> Yeah, Look, I don't. We don't have time here to go into the whole backstory of Azrael. You yeah, know? well, I mean, he was he was basically like Batman if Batman were trained by like a weird Catholic cult. Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of what Damian Wayne is. He's Batman if he were trained like from from birth by the League of Shadows or something. Yeah. No. <laughs> I'm making Nightfall sound worse than it is, and we're making Batman Forever, Forever sound better, sound better, than, better it than it is. <laughs> and it's the opposite. Nightfall is uh, also like the first appearance of Bane, and you get Bane's origin, and that's all really cool and really interesting, yep. and they don't do a lick of that in Dark Knight Rises, which we'll talk about next week. Next week. Yeah. Um, and night, a lot of Nightfall talk next week, too. So Yeah, um, Nightfall and No Man's Land both no play Man's in, Land. As yeah. terms, in terms of comic stories. Uh, yeah, I like, yeah, I like the relationship with, between Batman and, uh, Dick Grayson post-Robin. Like, um, the show Titans, I haven't seen a lot of it, but what I have seen, they do a really good job of, like, Dick Grayson is really, like, sort of pace, patiently sick of Bruce Wayne's shit. Yeah. Like, and Barbara Gordon, too, like, in this, she's in, still in a wheelchair, and she's lost a leg, and she's kind of sick of, the, uh, Bruce Wayne's shit as well, but they all still can get together and reminisce because that's all they have really right yeah. and bruce wayne and that's played by uh, ian glenn from game of thrones uh sojora mormon right. and it's kind of yeah. a good i like him as like an older bruce wayne yeah yeah i mean and here it's like i mean the the thing is is that also at this point in time the you know comics hadn't sort of hit the mainstream like they have now and pretty much all that the the you know mainstream audiences knew of Batman and Robin was from the 60s TV show which this is clearly like taking its cue from it is just it's clearly sort of taking the aesthetics of the Tim Burton stuff and just transposing the 60s show into it yeah and this one and the next and the next movie Batman and Robin too in even, particular even, yeah. even more so cuz i'd say the difference between these two movies Batman Forever and Batman and Robin is Batman and Robin 
I'm guessing what they set out to make is exactly what you see on the screen, whereas this <laughs> feels like you can see, like, all the seams and everything's been chopped up and it's, like, through lines don't get picked up on. Yeah. And, you know, obviously they went through a lot of casting and finding a new director and a new writer. And uh, it, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's messier than I remember, but not just because it's a mess, like, story-wise. It's a mess, like... From a, a technical standpoint, too. Yeah, it just, yeah, it feels like it's sort of all over the place in what it wants to do, what it's trying to do. Uh, and it, it, like, forgets things, and, and, like, Chase Meridian sort of drops out of the movie for a good, you know, 20 minutes or so, and then kind of bounces back in. Yeah, and, then, and that's when Batman decides to not be Batman anymore. And it's just, it's... Uh, I was I was so looking forward to watching this for for the podcast because I was like, oh, Batman Forever! I remember that being like a lot of fun. I'm sure it's really stupid, but like, and I was just I was bored. No, I I don't know how to say this, but I think the one that if you go back and watch and it's actually a lot of fun might be Batman and Robin. <laughs> I think you might be right. I think because I it it auto played on HBO Max <laughs> right after this one, and so we watched the first ten minutes and like you know, get the gem, kill the heroes. You know, it's like, it knows exactly what it is. Uh, and, yeah. and Schumacher said like, yeah, that's the movie I was trying to make. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the interesting thing I was thinking about. Just trying to think of for this movie had a huge impact. Batman forever did a massive box office hit. And it occurred to me that because Batman and Robin came out so quickly after it and was such a disaster, like, it was a flop, it was a critical yeah. failure, basically killed superhero movies until, you know, the early 2000s, and killed yeah. Batman until 2005 as a feature idea. There's no real, this doesn't really have a lot of influence. There's no one tried to ape the aesthetic of Batman no. forever. No. The only movie I could think of was Mystery Men. Mystery Men feels like it's set in the Joel Schumacher Gotham City. Yeah, no, that's that's true. I mean, and that that I guess came out what a year after Batman and Robin. Yeah, it was I think ninety nine or two thousand. Actually, yeah. it was a little later. So, but yeah, I mean, and and I, I, I'm trying to think. Was there a superhero movie that came out in nineteen ninety six? Well, while we vamp, I'm going to look it up. <laughs> superhero movies, nineteen ninety six. I mean. The, yeah, this just felt like such... And the the way the movie just plays, it just feels like a series of and then, and then, which made me think that it was like, oh, they just just basically wrote down what a, a 10-year-old was doing with his, like, Batman action figures. It's like, and, and then he meets Robin, and then they, they get a plane, and then, and then they get a boat, and, and, then, and then they go to this island that has a thing, and there's the sky has a laser question mark. Yeah, it's a lot of... It's just the movie is, like basically smashing your action figures against each other. Now, eat your words, Will. Oh. There were three superhero movies in 1996. Oh. They were The Phantom. Oh, right. The Crow, City of Angels, and Darkman 3, Die, Darkman, Die. There you are. Yeah. There you are. Big year for superhero movies. <laughs> and Orgasmo came out a year later, so... <laughs> No, it is like superhero movies just stopped existing. I am looking at a list here and until Blade, I guess, but that's uh, you know, a superhero adjacent movie, I think. Yeah, X-Men and then Spider-Man. X-Men really. Yeah. That's that's yeah. like what brought Marvel and DC back into the game. Cuz yeah, there's an a 10-year gap between Batman Forever and Batman Begins and you know, a 8-year gap between Batman and Robin and Batman Begins. And Batman Begins like I mean, it's it's not the perfect movie. No. But it was just like so. It was so cool to see them do Batman right after you know these these movies. I mean, and it sort of started with the the trend that that Rami set, which was or well, you know, the first X Men movie set, which is we're going to take these characters, we're going to we might change some things up for the screen, but we are going to take them seriously, and we're not gonna like play them for jokes. And no. th this is not we're not above the material. This is what we're doing. This is we're doing it seriously, and that's what they, that's what Christopher Nolan did. And that I mean, like you say, Batman Begins is not a perfect movie by any means, but it is it is a lot of fun, and it is really satisfying in a way that these other movies aren't because it focuses on Bruce Wayne. And for the first time in a Batman movie, the movie is about Batman. 
Right. It's exactly. it's like it is a Batman. The, the it's they basically took like two su- the two supervillains that they hadn't fucked up in the prior four <laughs> movies. Yeah. And and they're not too interesting supervillains compared to a lot of the others. And it's 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 about Batman and, yeah. and how Batman becomes Batman. And there was there's something I I mean Christopher Nolan sort of takes this I aesthetic idea from Michael Mann, which is there is something very pleasing about watching people do stuff, like do what they're good at or learn to be, learn things, you know? Yeah, and I think that's what we're gonna find frustrating in Dark Knight Rises, is that all the stuff that you like in Batman Begins and Dark Knight kind of don't exist in The Dark Knight Rises. You don't get a lot of Batman doing stuff. Yeah, you don't get any of that process stuff. And, and, and yeah, and this is, a, you know, we'll get into it next week, but uh, so much of that movie forget ignores all the process stuff in order to hit big moments that it just it just doesn't do the work to make those big moments land. Yeah, it, it so. Bat- Dark Knight Rises... It, deliberately chooses not to capture the momentum that's set up by the end of the dark Knight. Yeah. You know, and again, we'll, we'll get into it. I, I've got my hot takes on, on dark Knight rises. <laughs> yeah, so do I, so do I. Yeah. It's no, I I'm with you. I was hoping this would be more fun, but I think I'm just, I think it's more just a fondness for that time in my life. Yeah. There were movies that came out in 1995 that I, I like a lot better than this. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. This is not. This isn't a movie I go back and watch in a so bad it's good way. And I, you know, I don't do that with Batman and Robin either. But I think I would be more inclined to watch that one because that one's just got that one is so consistently stupid and yeah. so consistently bad. Like that is that's like a Star Wars prequel, and that like that is someone's vision brought to the screen. <laughs> you just, know, it's just which is just a catastrophe. Yeah, I, I agree. And. I haven't seen Batman and Robin in a long time and I, I hadn't seen this in a long time either. And I was kind of hoping that coming back to it, to Batman forever after, you know, how many years, almost 10 years of kind of having the, the Christopher Nolan dark Batman and then the Zack Snyder, even darker Batman in the, the zeitgeist. I was kind of hoping this like poppier, sillier Batman would kind of, and it didn't, it just didn't. No, if you want that, you got to go back to Adam West. Yeah. You got to go back to the sixties. Like though, cause those were well-written and those were satirical and those were the, honestly still have some great versions of those. Like it's still the best, you know, like Paul Dano's doing is a definitely a different take on the Riddler. I say this without a shred of irony. Frank Gorshin is the best Riddler. hundred percent. He's always sharply dressed. He's like, he's not as unhinged as the Joker. He's smarter. He's genuinely villainous, and he's just like a little giggly and crazy. And he plays so well off those other characters in that. And and you know, like you say, the writing on that show was just they they just knew what they were doing. Yeah, uh, you know, they they knew that they were making a show that was like a joke, and like it, but it didn't feel like it was above the material. It felt like it was sort of like having just it just felt like they were having so much fun doing it and it's so much of of the the schumacher movies in particular and the burton movies to a lesser extent just feels like it's looking down on the material in a way that it's like just it has that 90s sort of remove yeah totally it's it's from an era where they were like i think studios were realizing okay comic book adaptations could be profitable but filmmakers, I mean, and this is just maybe unique to Tim Burton and Joel Schumacher in this situation. Tim Burton has said on the record, like, I don't care about comics. I'm not, I was, he wasn't interested in Batman as a character. He was interested in doing his spin on Batman. Right. It was, you know, maybe what the character needed at the time, but, and, and Joel Schumacher is not interested in, you know, what makes Batman great in the comics either. But you see this in other stuff that was developed at the time, like, the James Cameron Spider-Man takes a lot of liberties with the character. And there's that Sam Hamm who co-wrote uh, 89 Batman. I think at least you can find the outline for his Watchmen adaptation. Oh, yeah. That's... And it's, it's I mean, it throws everything out. It's There's nothing in that that yeah, is it... even close to what Alan Moore was trying to do with Watchmen. That was the one that Gilliam was going to do, right? Was that the well, Gilliam one God. or is that a different oh, one? I, I think that was even before Gilliam. <laughs> Like, because that was, I think the progression was, they were developing it with a Sam Ham script in the late 80s, early 90s, and that fell apart. Then Gilliam was attached. Right. Then Greengrass was attached. Right. Then right. they got Zack Snyder, who was coming off of 300. 
and he was able to get it made. Yeah. <laughs> Say what you will about Zack Snyder, he got that movie made. Yeah. And it's yeah. not too far off from what Watchmen is. And uh, yeah, I um, I I'm quite fond of of his adaptation of Watchmen. I mean, it's got a lot of problems. But yeah, I, like some parts are miscast. I think, and and some of the acting isn't isn't very good. But I think it, some of the but I think the things it gets right, it gets really right. And and aesthetically, I think it's really cool. It's a very cool movie. Yeah, like it's hey. They, they kept the big blue dong, you know, that's, <laughs> most movies would find a way around that. Yeah. <laughs> Much like Spider-Man 3, Batman Forever is an interesting little peek into the state of superhero movies in the mid-90s. Yeah. Which is, and that state was not good. Not, not good, good, folks. No, and it's, it's, I, I, you know, watching it now, I remember walking out of that movie and I was nine, so I was primed to like oh love yeah the, and, and i did i thought that was the best movie i had ever seen in my life i was on board with this movie from the opening credits because yeah, the opening yeah. credits are just they might as well be going whoa <laughs> whoa they come at you and just yeah. when you think they pass then they zzz, like come past the screen like a like sort of like a subway effect it's so <laughs> weird and elliot goldenfall's score is actually really good i think it's so um, good it's got that like when the bat when they when it builds to that crescendo and you get the like they show the title of the movie there's just these horns that are literally <laughs> screaming at you it gets so big and it's like it's yeah. like a march it's a yeah. they, they they got rid of the danny elfman score and they brought in like this is why these two movies feel so distinct from the for the, the two tim burton ones because they have just like the only overlap is besides the characters, is two actors. Like, it's right. Pat, Pat Hingle and Michael Goff stuck <laughs> around the whole thing. Michael Goff, the only dignified character through all four movies as Alfred. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I was trying to imagine somebody now, nine years old, sitting down to watch Batman Forever, and they would just turn on this movie, like, Almost instantly. Oh, I yeah. Mean, like, like, just superhero movies are so different now. No, and, and now you don't... Here's the thing. In 19... Apart from the Batman animated series, which is still, like, a, in the 90s, which is still, like, kind of a high watermark for Batman, like, we were also into this because this was it. This was all we could get. Yeah. There yeah. weren't a lot, of, a lot of other options. Now we've... Since Val Kilmer, we're on our fourth Batman since then. And that's not even counting, like, Will Arnett and the Lego Batman. <laughs> like, we've done Clooney and Bale and Affleck, and now we're on Robert Pattinson. Yeah. Yeah. And not counting any of the various TV, you know, live-action TV spinoffs or animated uh, shows since then, either. Since this time, and and since, honestly, the last tw less than 20 years, every facet of the Bat-universe has been brought to the screen in some form. You've had Gotham was a whole series that ran forever. You've had multiple animated shows. You've had, uh, one, two, three. <laughs> so at least six movies, seven movies, if you count the Lego movies that Batman yeah. is in. It's yeah. like, that's the thing. You can look back on this and be like, oh, it's not bad, but I'm not going to get angry about it. Like, no. I was out at dinner with someone once. Uh, like, it was like a double date. And I jokingly said the Burton, or I was just talking about, it wasn't even a joke. I said, oh, well, I liked The Dark Knight a lot better than the Burton Schumacher movies. And he, this guy looked at me like I'd, I'd insulted every member of his family. He said, are you seriously putting the Burton movies together with the Schumacher movies? They aren't even the same. How could you, how dare you compare the Joel Schumacher ones to the Tim Burton ones? And then he started going off about how much he hated The Dark Knight. And that was the moment when I realized I'm a grown up and I don't want to talk about <laughs> Batman all the time. I, I, I just want to eat my burger and, and go home. I don't want to argue with yeah. you. I don't know you, man. And yeah, why are you I... getting so angry at me? That's the thing is people, I mean, look. I'm going to go on a limb here and say that superhero fans, comic book fans, DC Comics fans uh, can get a little heated now and then. <laughs> they they basically strong-armed Warner Brothers into making a second Justice League movie just for them, just to watch so they'd have something to watch during COVID. And, uh. you know, they were writing a wrong on a certain level, but it is just like, 
everyone's got every, everyone has a different favorite batman yeah i mean and and i mean and this even goes back to this time period of 95 97 like you know i i don't know if you've been listening to this uh podcast download all about the rise and fall of ain't it cool news no but i would love to it's it's very interesting, but one of the, the the things they talk about is actually the release of Batman and Robin because what Ain't It Cool News did was that they ran a bunch of um, testing uh, reviews of the movie before it was released, before it was even finished, Ooh. and that like you know it was sort of like and you know it, that movie caused a bunch of nerd rage. Oh yeah, you know? understandably and, so. That movie is I mean, if you're going into that looking for a faithful take on any character in it you were going to be sorely <laughs> disappointed it's so bad but if you went into it thinking they're doing a modern day spin on the adam west 60s campy batman you might be pleasantly surprised yeah like if you go yeah. into the movie acting like the movie doesn't plan on taking itself too seriously it's and it's not i'm not gonna say it's good but it's a lot more enjoyable and it might be the most cohesive of the four movies in this series. Yeah, I think that's true. You know, I'm sure there was a lot of studio tampering with it, but it doesn't feel tampered with. It's It was all tampered with before they started, like, the script and rolling. Right. The tampering was like, design everything before you finish the script so we can make the toys, you know? Yeah. Which is why, like, if yeah. you go back and look at the, like, Batgirl toys, it's a completely different costume. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so weird because, like, nothing in that movie, like, none of the toy stuff looks cool. No. It looks so dumb. No, the Batman, <laughs> and the Batman Returns toys that we kind of, I think most of us look back fondly on, have, like, nothing to do with the movie. No. Like, the penguin that you yeah. got with the Batman Returns one didn't look like Danny DeVito. It looked like the old Burgess Meredith penguin. Right. You could get the penguins with the rockets on their back, but that was it. Was, that was it. Yeah, I mean, and, and the, the, the Catwoman looked pretty similar, she, but there was also a Robin as part of that toy line who just looked like the comic book yeah, Robin. That, <laughs> I all remember about that Robin action figure is he had like a, they'd sculpted his abs in his costumes so it looked like they were kind of like pushing out of a hole in his belly. <laughs> and I always found that kind of creepy. What a toy line that was, the Batman Returns toy line. And that was, that's when they were toys, you know? People yeah. like cared about that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, we've moved on now. We all just care about the uh, the TikTok and the Bitcoin, you know. <laughs> and the NFTs. The NFTs, which just stands for Not Fun Toys. Oh, <laughs> uh, this movie. This movie's left me a little punchy. I'll, I'm going to have to get my strength back before next week when we dive into a very different <laughs> bad third Batman movie. Yeah. Next week, we're going to be talking about The Dark Knight Rises from 2012? 12. 12. Yeah. Yes. The only thing you know of that movie, if you've never seen it, is the Bane voice. Yes. Yeah. We wanted to know what you told them. We're going to we're gonna both do that a lot. Get, we can't it help. will be very painful for you. Perhaps he's wondering why he'd shoot a man before throwing him out of an airplane. Would you like some fries with that, Batman? <laughs> Will, do you watch Harley Quinn? I do, yeah, yes. The, bane, the yes. bane on Harley Quinn is the best Bane. It's the best. Yeah. And he's just how he wants to blow everything up. And <laughs> yes, I will blow you up, you chicken satay. It's, he's great. It's, I think it's James Adomian does the voice, and he's just so funny, because no one takes him seriously at all. No. <laughs> And he's such a sad, lonely character. Yeah, it's amazing. It's great. Uh, yeah, Harley Quinn oh. series. Check it out. A lot of fun. Probably one of my favorite shows on TV. But yeah, uh, Will, any final thoughts on Batman Forever? <sighs> one of my final, final you, you thoughts. You excited for The Batman? You know, I guess... I, it, I mean, I won't be seeing it until it probably hits VOD anyway, but um, uh, I don't know. It The trailer... I like Matt Reeves a lot. I I like his two Planet of the Apes movies. I think they're really good. Um, I, I don't know. I, I guess I am. It's, I don't know. Batman just makes me tired yeah. these days. We've had a lot of Batman in our lives, gang. It's It's been a rough road. I'm, I'm cautiously excited. Every trailer that comes out makes it look like it's going to be a bit more fun than like that yeah. original trailer made it seem like. I want it to you know, feel different than the Affleck or Christian Bale Batmans. Uh, and yeah. I think Robert Pattinson's a good choice. Like, I like all the yeah. casting choices for it. No, I, I think so, too. And I, I just want, 
I just want a Batman movie to get away from the origin. I don't want to see Martha Wayne's pearls fall on concrete anymore. I am so tired she's, of that. She's got to die over and over and over again. <laughs> Without a line, ever. Maybe they'll sidestep it like they did Uncle Ben with the new Spider-Man. I mean, that's what they should do at this point. I mean, it's like, who doesn't know how Batman became Batman? Um, but but it's like, you know, I want... I want something like either the long Halloween or hush where it's like a Batman who's sort of already established going through a, a Batman adventure. And I don't want it to connect to anything or connect to another universe. You know, I just want it to be sort of just a Batman mystery. You, you, you kind of want what you want is something like Batman 89 where he's like, he's been Batman for maybe right. six weeks or something. It's not yeah. entirely clear. <laughs> But he's yeah. he's new. Uh, yeah, no. If you want Batman from another dimension, I think you're Michael Keaton's coming back. You're gonna get him yeah. in the Flash movie. So there's a little bit of yeah. there's something for everyone. So yeah, yeah. <sighs> Just like I said, Batman makes me tired. And part of the problem is that I I liked Ben Affleck as Batman. I just didn't like the movies he was in. No, and, <laughs> and from what it sounds like, neither did he. Uh, right. So. Yeah. But I mean, like, like when they were talking about Ben Affleck's Batman movie that he was going to do, I was like, that sounds great. Why don't we do that? And then, you know, he hated being Batman and hated being in those movies. So what am I to say to force him to do something? Yeah, I think he I think he just doesn't want to put on that costume anymore. And he doesn't want to have to stay super built and bulky. So I won't begrudge him that. No. But yes, so next week, Batman, uh, Bat, the Dark, not the Dark Knight Rises, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, I'm looking forward to talking about. I'm not really looking forward to watching. Forward to watching, yeah, yeah, because yeah. it's also it's long. long. It's this is like it's a two hour and forty minute like like just shots of Pittsburgh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and then uh, after that, it's my pick, and I, I think I know what I'm gonna pick, but I will reveal it next week. I'm gonna save it. Oh. Okay. Again, I'm sort of waffling, but I think I'm not. And I think after these two Batmans, I think I know what I'm going to want to watch. And it's it's just going to be just like a mug of cocoa. So oh, okay. uh, we keep saying that and then we keep like coming into this podcast all haggard and miserable. Right. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't trust anything anymore. <sighs> well, folks, thank you again for uh, hanging with us. And you can find us on Twitter at podcast part three. That's the number three. And... Until next time, I am Sam Charrington. And I'm Will Morey. And the other car was destroyed. Oh, the car. Oh, we didn't even talk about sick-ass Batmobile in this. Oh, yeah. yeah the Batmobile in this kind of rules. The Batmobile and the Batwing in this are so cool. Uh, they're like an H.R. Giger light <laughs> design. They're just so awesome. Yeah. The point, all right. Points for that. It's the best Batmobile in these, these four movies. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, it's the best Batmobile from the movies where they're making a car that looks like a bat, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, Will, I will talk to you yeah. soon. Hold your loved ones tight, because Bane's yeah. coming. Oh, boy. Oh, boy.